and Vince Lombardi, the great Lince, Vince Lombardi, was in a meeting room and uh, about to give the vision for uh, the following year. The year prior to that, they had lost and wasn't called the Super Bowl then. It was, it was called the NFL Championship Game. And they had lost to the dreaded Philadelphia Eagles. And it came down to the, kind of the last few minutes of the game. And so here's 38 Green Bay Packers, so much more than that now, right? Sitting, waiting for the coach, the great, not quite legendary yet, but he would be, uh, Vince Lombardi, walk up and give this profound vision for how they were going to finally get over the hump, which they had lost last year in the championship game. And he strolls up to the front, football in hand, and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. That was his speech. <laughs> it was much, much more than that in, in the context that what he was saying was, we are going to get back to the fundamentals. The fundamentals. The, the small things that cost us the last championship game because we didn't execute the fundamentals at the end of the game. Well, uh, I think the speech took hold because uh, the following year they won in the championship game against the uh, New York Giants, and Coach Lombardi never lost another playoff game. Fundamentals. I think that we could say, as we're in this study in the book of James, I think we could say this, or I could say this to you. Church, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bible. And if we're going to have victory, we need to get back to the fundamentals of what the Word of God says. I think that I could probably say to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, this is the book of James. It's actually John, but I couldn't, I didn't have it marked. Some of you are going, that's not James. Anyway, this is the book of James. And we are going to do what James says we should do. We're going to get back to the fundamentals. And there have been some foundational things that he has been speaking to us. We've talked about these challenges that we get every week from him. You might remember the Royal Law of Love Challenge, where we were to love the Lord and love others as we love ourselves. And each night we said, or each whenever your day comes to a close, we were going to ask ourselves, ask the Holy Spirit, have we violated the royal law of love in any way today? Because we want to have a clean slate with the Lord on a daily basis. Have I violated that in any way? Two weeks ago, we looked at the power of the tongue and how there is both death and life in the power of our tongue. And another question we were going to ask ourselves is, is Lord, have I, have I spoke death today or have I spoke life? And Lord, would you, would you convict me and show me and, and help me to be a better person with this gift of speech that you've given? Last week, he saw, we saw how, how there's wisdom above and there's wisdom below. And we're going to ask ourselves this question, is the, because wisdom is practical. 
Uh, wisdom is how to. Knowledge is knowing something. Like I know I need new brakes in my car, but I got to go to somebody with wisdom that knows how to fix it. Especially the park brake in my car. You know, you got your brakes and then you got the parking brake. How many of you know that's a whole nother issue there? Nobody? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know you know. Yeah. Wisdom from above, wisdom from below. How am I living my life today? What wisdom am I living it by? We talked about that. Today, I'm going to give uh, you another critical fundamental. A, a, a critical fundamental. James chapter 1, verse 22, the key verse of the book has been be doers of the word, not hearers only, and so deceive yourself. James says that. James says, don't talk to me about your walk. Let me see your walk by how you live. Because he apparently in this early church, uh, there were people who were talking a good game, but they weren't walking a good game. And James says, I don't want to talk. I don't want to hear, you know, that's all good. Show me your work, your, your relationship with God by what you do by how you live your life, because if it hasn't affected your life to the point that it changes you somehow, there's a disconnect. Well, I want to give you another critical fundamental. James chapter 4, verse 7 says this, So submit to the authority of God. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. It's so fundamental, it's so simplistic, and yet it is so powerful. Let's all stand and we'll open up in prayer this morning. I'm, I'm excited to, to be here. James is going to say some hard things to you this morning. I'm just wanting you to know that I've instructed the ushers that if you leave, they're going to follow you and encourage you to come back. I'm just kidding. You're like, really? Does that happen here? Is that kind of... I went to a church one time, took a bunch of young people, and it was this evangelist who was speaking. It got a little crazy, a little crazy for us. And I said, no, I think we're done. And I went to go leave, and they told me I couldn't leave. I was like, wait, wait, hold up, man. No, you, no, I'm leaving. And they go, no, you can't. I, I didn't know how to respond. I was, I was about to go. <laughs> and I just sat down. I turned around to the youth and said, we can't go. They're like, what? I said, we can't. We, we, I don't know. How do you handle this in church? I, anyway, I digress. Sorry. Y'all are like, what are you talking about? Jesus, we are talking about you. You're awesome. We love you, God. Would you speak to us by your spirit? Would you, would you prepare our hearts to receive whatever you have? As someone said to me recently, I don't want to miss one word that God has for me. And we don't, God. We want all that you have. We, we want every bit of it. We don't want to fall short in any area. And, and, and Lord, we know we, who we are. We know how we are. We know what we do. We know we're, we're, we, we, we shortcut. We, 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 we say things. We, we react in ways. Or maybe if we don't, Lord, we're just messed up people. And we already know that. But, but you do too. And you love us. And you call us your sons and your daughters. And Holy Spirit, you're here to give us understanding that Jesus, you said, hey, if you got ears to hear, listen, and we want to hear from you today. I already know, Lord, 
I have nothing profound to say, nothing of, of lasting value. And that's just not some, some way of, of trying to be humble, but it's the reality, God. I just know that your word, your words are the words of truth. Now speak by your spirit and give us ears to hear. We wipe the slate of our, of our heart and our brain clean, not presupposing what we think you're going to say. Lord, speak something new and different. But give us, give us ears to hear. That is, let it change us today. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. amen. Give someone a high five and have a seat if you would, please. <sighs> James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore... And for those of you who love to study the word, you know that wherever you read, therefore, you have to know what it's there for. So context is key. We'll get to that later because I wanted to start here. Therefore, submit to the authority of God. The Amplified Bible says, resist the devil, that is, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. That's James' thesis for what he's about to say. Uh, the word submit is, the, is, a, is, a, is a military term, and, and it means to, to rank under. Uh, uh, hupotasso is the word in the Greek. Hupo, which means under, and tasso, to arrange. So it's one thing to be under, but it's another thing to, to consistently arrange yourself under something. If you're in the military, you get that. You are hupotasso to your superiors, right? And if you don't think you are, you will not last long, or they will remind you in ways that you will get it. <laughs> and and it, will all military people say amen? amen. Very amen, amen, amen. The Bible translate that, translates that word as subordinate, uh, subject to, submit, surrender, be weak. So be weak under the authority of God, afflicted, humbled, put under, and stay in your place. I like that. Stay in your place. Uh, that is, you know, we might say, stay in your lane, bro, right? And your lane is under the authority of God. Now, the difference between the word obey and the word submit, at least in the Greek language, from what I can gather, to obey is to follow a command, uh, period, uh, to, to just do what you're told, to conform, uh, to comply with an order, uh, that's obey. You know what? Move those chairs over there, and you just do it. But, but the word submit has a little bit more flavor to it in that it's to yield or to defer out of respect. Uh, to, to, you respect a superior authority, and because of relationship or affection, uh, you're persuaded, you're, com you have, you're com uh, under compulsion to, to follow. You, you get it? If you're a parent, you know that you might, you might tell your kids, hey, hey, go do this. And they might go, oh my gosh, whatever. And they go do it, right? And it, they're, not, they're not necessarily, I mean, they'll do it. And like, you're okay with that, sort of. Like if, as a parent, if I say, hey, go do this, and my, and my kids you know, not my kids, but kids would grumble and complain the whole way, and then, and then they do it. You know, as a parent, you're, you're kind of half okay with that, because it's like, well, at least they did it, right? But, but, but then you also know that, that you don't want that to be the attitude. You, you want there to be a, a hupotasso. You want them to, to, because of the relationship that you have, for them to say, got it, and, and, and there to be more to it. Does that make sense? Obey, do this! And, and then, there's, then there's submit. There's a willingness to submit. So, 
So submit to the authority of God. And, 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 and I want to say, we have so much we're going to say about this. That's, that's the key that starts the, well, it's, not the, it's one of the main things that starts the engine of our relationship with, with the Lord. There's so much in that little verse. I hope that you'll memorize it. Spurgeon, uh, the great orator and speaker of the Word of God, gave, gave five reasons why we should submit to God's authority. One, he said, we should submit to God because he created us. Makes sense. He said we should submit to God because his rule is good for us. And I think that there are a lot of people who don't want to surrender or submit to the Lord because they don't think it will be good for them. And I'm going to tell you that in, uh, in my experience, and I think there are many who would agree, that surrendering to the, to the Lord is better for you every time. It just is. Uh, we should submit to God uh, because all resistance to him is futile. Uh, <laughs> It really is. All resistance to him is futile. I'm, you know what? You're, you're, you're free to resist. You're free. I'm free to resist. But it, it, you know what? It, it, this ever happened to you? Oh, I know what you're saying, Lord. Bah, 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 eh, eh. Oh, my God. Eh. And where do you end up? Right back where you started, right? And, oh, I wish I would have just obeyed from the get-go. Now, and I know first service, I got a lot of yays and amens to that. Probably not so much here because you guys are way mature than them. But because we should submit to God because such submission is absolutely necessary to salvation. What does that mean? That means you cannot, you cannot come to Jesus. You cannot come under his authority. You cannot come into, into intimate relationship with him unless you submit to him. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That means you recognize the bankruptcy of your own soul. You recognize that nothing good is in you. You've re- you recognize that you've committed cosmic treason and that God is justified in sending you to the depths of hell. But because of his great love for you, because of Jesus Christ who came to live in a perfect life and then die, because of God's love that he called you and he wooed you and brought you to himself. And so you, you humble yourself uh, uh, under that. And, and in humility, you know, you don't come to, to God and say, okay, God, here's the deal. Uh, you, you do these three things and maybe I'll believe in you. You know what? It turns out God doesn't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> and that's kind of what, what I am. It's what I was. Not literally, but you get it? I resist. I rebel. I go my own way. And God, you can't, you can't make conditions to the one who spoke the stars into existence. You can't say, okay, I will if. And God's like, mm, that's not how it works, Junior. <laughs> uh, uh, we, we, should, we should submit to God because it's the only way to have peace with God, Spurgeon said. Uh, I want to park on that for just a, a moment or two. I think that's pretty profound. I mean, who doesn't want peace in their life? Not, not, not meaning a stress-free life or circumstances that happen that really have nothing to do with you. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But, but who, who doesn't want peace? And the only way to have true peace with God, therefore to have peace in your life, and have the peace of God is to surrender and submit to him. It's the only way.
Now, the sixth one I added here, I should submit to God because you fill in the blank. Uh, by the way, all of my notes are on the YouVersion app in case you, if you have that, if you want all to, all this stuff is there for you. Um, <clears throat> so so that's, that's, our, that's our key. That's, that's the, 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 mar- the, the, the big, big topic today. Okay, now we're going to break it down. So we're in um, James chapter, one, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And he's going to be talking about fights and schisms in the body of Christ. Remember, he's writing to people who are followers of Jesus. And he says this, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? This is not talking about wars between individuals or between nations. This is talking about people in the church that are scrapping it and, 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 and warring with one another, right? You think, oh my, really? Yeah, it happens. So he says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. How many of you are glad you came this morning? You glad you came? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. You adulterers, he says. Woo! Uh, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace. What's that word? Generously. Generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So remember in chapter 3, James said that, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words have the ability to kill or to give life. Um, he has talked about the wisdom that is above and the wisdom that is below. And he's contrasting earthly wisdom with satanically inspired wisdom uh, versus the wisdom from above. So, you know, the, the, the chapters and verses in the Bible were added for our understanding. But this is one letter and it's one theme. And so when you come to a chapter break, you tend to think that he's shifting gears and he's thinking about something else. But it really is in context with what he's already been saying because, because so often these, these quarrels and fights manifest themselves. How? By what I say. So there's a link between the two. I didn't want you to think we're shifting subjects. Uh, it's still kind of the same thing. So quarrels and fights among Christians. Apparently, this was happening in the early church. Can you imagine that? Christians fighting and battling it out and, 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 and warring with one another. Uh, Tom Rainier is sort of a church leadership guru and he writes a lot on church development and church progress. And, and he, he, he put out a letter, to all, uh, an email to all of these pastors saying, hey, give me your crazy church fights that, that you've heard about or even experienced, right? And so here's, here's some of the ones that he got. Then he adds his notes at the end. He goes, how about a dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service? People going to war over that. Dude. That young man is not wearing shoes. 
Uh, you should have been here when Brother Jay had on rubber slippers. You really would have freaked out. <laughs> and it was a profound teaching, too. So he says, uh, Tom Rainier says, I vote for shoes, shirts, and pants. That was his, probably not much of a link between, uh, never mind. All right. The big, a big church, big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off 10 cents. He says someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. And he says, I have to admit, this issue is 10 times more important than the church missing a penny. Oh, the math majors have awakened. Awakened. So have the English majors. Sorry. A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. We here at Living Grace use wine, so don't worry about it. I'm kidding. I'm joking. You're like, what? <laughs> uh, and he says, of course, it should be grape juice. It's right there in Hezekiah chapter 4, verse 11. Feel free to look that up on your own. A business, meeting, uh, a business meeting arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. And then he said it took two business meetings to resolve the issue. And, and then he wrote this, uh, wow, this fight was really wacky. I, I didn't think that was funny at all. That's not funny. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members left the church in the latter example. And he said, perhaps they started a new church, the Right Blend Fellowship. An argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. That's, that's ridiculous. And he says, only if it's balanced with angel food cake for dessert. <laughs> represent everybody. Everybody represented fully. Uh, one of my favorites is some church members left the church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. And it resulted in a major fight and a split. And then he said, thus the first Kirby church was born. Ooh, that's bad. Yeah, I think I'll probably just eliminate a couple of these uh, from future reference. Can we back up the live feed and just kind of know it's too late? First cause, causes of war, qu quarrels and fights and wars in the church. First cause, you ready? The flesh. The source of these wars and battles and fights, it's always the same thing. Always. Oh, three things we're going to talk about today. And it's always the same. You don't, when you hear about a quarrel, a fight, a war within a church, it'll be one of three things. One of these three things. All right? First one is the flesh. Don't they come, James says, from the evil desires at war within you? Your pleasures, your passion. Your unmet desires, the frustration that leads with that, that leads to conflict until you get your way. Our selfish, sinful nature that comes pre-wired when we are conceived. You know, I mean, maybe genetically it's not quite there, but I'm thinking that it is, right? It's like, it's that Adam and Eve rebel against God. They choose the worldly wisdom instead of the wisdom from above. They choose to go their own way. And then 
and, and, and thereby the, their nature gets passed on to you and me. And by the way, every worldview must explain the existence of evil. And I think Christianity gives the best explanation. Why is there evil in the world? I look in the mirror and I go, uh, because of me. It's because of my heart. It's because of the heart of man. We are in rebellion against God. Adam and Eve set the tone. We've inherited a sin nature. And James says that the battle is within. He says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have. You can't get it, so you fight and wage war and take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. There's a word for that in the Bible. It's called covetousness, to covet something or someone else. Covetousness. Um, there's a reason in the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, uh, I, I think that the order of each of them has some significance. And the last one is what? Don't covet. It's like a summary of all the others. Why does someone murder? Because of covetousness. Why does someone steal? Because of covetousness. Why does someone commit adultery? Because of covetousness. Why does someone worship another idol? Because they don't get what they want from God, so they create their own idol that will give them whatever they want. That is the wisdom from below. It says in Exodus 20, 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Okay, translation, you shall not covet your neighbor's 80-inch TV screen. You shall not covet your neighbor's new car. You shall not covet... Your, your neighbor's wife or husband or whatever, uh, uh, because covetousness is a big deal. It really is. So much so, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12. He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And I know that we think that possessions are everything. And Jesus says, take heed because that stuff can ruin your life. You can become covetousness because guess what? You never get enough. He says, you lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot attain. And you get the idea of this is a person who is striving, running, trying to be satisfied, trying to get significance, trying to be okay with themselves, and leaving a trail of destruction behind, and at the end of it, they cannot obtain. Most of us, he said, you murder. Most of us are not guilty of murder, Probably haven't done that. Oh, maybe some have. If you have, no disrespect. We love you. Graduates are here. But we've all murdered with our words, our thoughts. And we think, well, it's not like I murdered someone. No, but you assassinated them with your words. Or then we think, well, I think these things, but I don't say them. Ah, but it's in your heart, which is the issue. It's the issue. So you fight and wage war to take it away. And then you have, you don't have what you want. It's an endless cycle. This is the story of someone who is so trying to 
fulfill their life and can't get there. Doesn't matter what it is. We're tempted to fulfill sinful desires because we think that they satisfy, and it's a trap. It it could be money, it could be fame, it could be notoriety, it could be sex, it could be pride. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be relationship, could be does it, it doesn't matter. These things don't satisfy. I wrote this down. The human soul is designed to never be fulfilled unless it is satisfied in the fullness of Christ. The human soul is designed to never be fulfilled unless it is satisfied in the fullness of Christ. That's where true fulfillment comes. Then James gives us a prayer point. We can take it as a prayer point. He says in verse 2, you don't have what you want because you don't ask for it. You don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Gosh, isn't this true? I mean, it's the reality. It turns out motive matters. We ask for things from God sometimes, and we're mad because he doesn't give it to us in the timing that we want, in the way that we want. Motive can't... Asking matters, motive matters, and it tells me about the power of the ask. I mean, how many things in my life do I not have because, oh yeah, forgot to ask God. And forgot to continually ask. Check my heart. What's, is my motive right? Well, then I need to ask. It's, this is like Spurgeon calls this, I mean, this is a powerful, powerful thing. This is what he says. He says, if you have... If you may have everything by asking and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is, and I beseech you to abound in it. Do you know, brothers, what great things are to be had for the asking? Have you ever thought of it? Does it not stimulate you to pray fervently? All heaven lies before the grasp of the asking man. All the promises of God are rich and inexhaustible and their fulfillment is to be had by prayer. That is so good. And he's not talking about ask whatever you want, you'll get it. Of course, he's not talking about that. He's just saying, referencing the fact that we that, that there's this treasure trove in heaven that God so wants to give us, but he's waiting. And he has the right and the authority to give it to us Anyway, however he wants to, but he's waiting. What's he waiting on? He's waiting on us to ask him. If you're a parent, you get that. Your kid is struggling with something. They're struggling. You see it. You don't say anything. You watch it. They get frustrated. You know, they run around and, you know, I'm talking about a young kid, right? You know, not like teenagers. It's only a young kid, you know. And, and, and you just sit back and you just go, hmm. And, you, and, and, and they go, they go, and, 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 you go, you, you want some help? Yes. It's like, well, you could have asked. I'm standing right, you know. And I think God is like, we struggle, we stumble, we tumble, we, we, we get it wrong, and, and, and we so want this or that. And, and God's just like, oh, okay, well, let's just see. And he's not playing some game with us, but he so wants us to ask, why? 
What parent doesn't love it when your kid asks for something that's on your heart to give, that you can give? Because it shows that you trust and because he wants you to participate. God wants us to participate with him in this thing called life on earth. And he wants to bless us. And he's sometimes he's just waiting for us to ask. Well, let me give you the second cause of quarrels and wars and fights. It's the world. I call it cosmos motivation. The Greek word for world. It's not planet earth. It's the system, the philosophy. It's the, it's the, the mindset. It's the wisdom of this world, not the wisdom from above. It is, it is anti-Christ. It is anti-anything to do with church. It, it is, it is, it is choosing to determine for yourself what's right or wrong. It's the philosophies. It's the, it's the, the, the mindset that is without God. That's the world. And he says in verse 4 again, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And as if we didn't get it, he says, I say again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. James says, you choose love the world or love Jesus, but you cannot love both. You're a house divided, that house can't stand. You must choose one or the other. Adapting to the world's set of values. We cannot be friends of this world system, which is in rebellion against God, and friends of God at the same time. You know, our founding fathers, I got this out of the the founder's Bible, the founding fathers understood that the very things that make someone an enemy of God, whether by direct or indirect means, are the same things that undermine the uh, virtue and thus have a, a deleterious effect on America. For this reason, declaration signer John Witherspoon pointedly declared, whoever is an avowed enemy of God, I scruple not to call him an enemy of this country. My, how far we've come from that to where if you're an enemy of God, you're, you're, you're climbing up the ladder. Uh, uh, politically, you're, 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 you're the popular uh, in some instances. You hate the things that God hates and people will say all kinds of evil about you. You love the things that the world loves and you'll be elevated. Let me give an example. You love abortion, even to, the, to, to birth, and you will be celebrated in some circles as a humanitarian. And that's something God hates. It can't be both ways. It makes sense. Jedediah Morris, a leading educator from the founding era who was active on the political scene throughout the revolution, reminded citizens that whenever Christianity was weakened in America, America's existence as a prosperous and free nation was directly threatened. Somehow or another, our founding fathers figured out that we weren't all that great and that our prosperity as a nation was linked to our love for God. To the kindly influence of Christianity, we owe that degree of civil 
freedom and political and social happiness which mankind may now enjoy in proportion as the genuine effects of Christianity are diminished in any nation, in the same proportion will the people of that nation uh, 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 will the people of that nation to receive from the blessings of general freedom. All efforts made it to destroy the foundations of our holy religion ultimately tend to the subversion also over political freedom and happiness. Jedediah Morris says, Whenever the pillars of Christianity shall be overthrown, our present Republican forms of government, not talking about a political party, but a form of government, our present Republican forms of government, all the blessings which flow from them must fall with them. The cosmos, the world, the motivation for fights and wars. 1 John 2 John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Oh, oh, get it, get it, church, get it. Distinguish, discern the difference. Young people, get it. Not everything you hear is the wisdom of God. you got a spirit that lives within you that will cry out every time you hear something that's not from the Lord. But you must choose. And this is where our young people are today. They're in the, 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 the grips of choosing between the wisdom of above and the wisdom below. And, and may, we, may, we, may we see God pour out an absolute miracle. In, in, you know, there are so many... There's so many who, who believe that the next wave of revival is going to happen on university campuses. What better place could there be? God has done it before. Who would have ever believed that the Jesus movement would have happened when it did? God has this way of reaching people when, when maybe even the church thinks, there's no way you can reach these kids. And God's like, those are my kids. And he's always used young people to shock the church. May it happen again. May it happen again. And he uses the strangest people or people you might never expect. I don't know where Conway yes, uh, Kanye West is headed. I'm just saying, he's preaching the gospel. I'm saying I saw an interview with him on Jimmy Kimmel, UNLV graduate, by the way, but anyway. I saw an interview with him on Jimmy Kimmel, and he came out, and he got a standing ovation, and people are clapping. And I'm not saying that we need stars and mega stars and rappers to come to Christ for this nation to change. But I'm saying God's using peculiar people. And this man, standing over, and Jimmy Kimmel's like, so what are you, are you born again? I was like, when does he ever say that? Ever. I mean, like, their God conversations happening all the time, and young people are starting to get a hunger and a thirst saying, hey, listen, if Kanye got the Holy Ghost, something's going on. I'm just saying. Just saying. May it be, Lord. May it be. May it be. May, be, may we as a church be willing to step aside. May we as a church be willing to, to let go of our traditions and the way we think church should be done. 
and turn over the reins to some young people who need some discipleship, need some discipleship, and let them go. Let them go. Let them go do their thing. They're able to reach people you and I can't reach. The church said? The world, you're gifted in leadership abilities, but you're not being used. You might have a tendency to push yourself to the front. The Holy Spirit would say, no, don't do that. Let me elevate you. You're single. You're eager to get married. You, 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 you rush to find a way to get married because you think that marriage will bring happiness. I've always said this, the best husband in the world makes a poor God. The best wife in the world makes a poor God. And you just, you, 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 you wait. You wait on the Lord. You let God do what only God can do. Because there's someone that God has in mind for you. And guess what? Only he can bring that person to you. So you wait. You've uh, worked hard and someone else got the credit uh, for what you did. And the Lord is saying, don't worry about that. I'll see that you get rewarded. But you fight because, you know, you got rights and nobody else is going to speak up for you and you need to speak up. And maybe that is the case. But it also may be the Holy Spirit is saying, don't you say anything. Just let it go. That's the wisdom from above when that's what God is speaking versus the wisdom of the world. He goes on, and we're almost done. He says in verse 5, do you think the Scriptures have no meaning? What a question. Ha, huh, that's a rhetorical question. He says, do, do you think the Scriptures are meaningless? Uh, d- he says, they say that God is passionate, that, he, that the Spirit He has placed within us should be faithful to Him. The Spirit of the Lord within you is desirous for faithfulness. F.B. Meyer says he went so far as to speak of them as adulterers and adulteresses. And then adopting a gentle or pleading tone, he says, You are grieving the Holy Spirit who has come to dwell within you, who yearns with a jealous envy to possess your entire nature for himself. And I love verse 6. He says, And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud. Is that interesting? Do you, do you know that prideful people are opposed by God? God opposes the proud. God sets himself against prideful people. And, you know, I would consider myself that before I became a follower of Christ. And I think pride is something that we all struggle with. So I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the kid in the kingdom who's a little prideful and dealing with it. I'm talking about someone who's like, God, I ain't got time for you, man. This is my show. I, I created this. Yeah, remember Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, uh, Babylon, Babylon, woo! Look at the beauty of Babylon. The Lord said, boom. Seven, was it seven years? Uh, he lost his mind. You ought to read the letter that he wrote to the kingdom of Babylon after God restored his senses. Oh, the great mighty God of heaven. Oh, what about you, Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, uh, uh. No, no. No, I'm just, just, I'm just a nobody. I'm just a nobody. I'm not, not, no, not Nebuchadnezzar the Great, just a dude. That's all. <laughs> Read it. Book of Daniel. Ah. He gives grace to the humble. Grace to the humble. The third cause, the third cause is the devil. So what are the causes of these fights and these wars? It's me. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> yeah, and it's you. It's, it's, it's the world, the world system 
And finally, it's the devil, Lucifer, and his minions. Uh, and so he says, and here's the formula. I'm going to give you formula. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Oh, there it is. That works every time. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. doesn't mean there are battles. Doesn't mean, listen, you submit to God, you sign up for war. Because the enemy will come at you with everything that, uh, 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 within his arsenal. Every, you, go ahead, surrender. And you know, for some of us, when we came to be followers of Jesus, the, the devil was like, yeah, right, we'll see how long this lasts. Maybe even people heard about you. Oh, he's a Christian? That's crazy. That's not going to last long. And here you are. People didn't think you could make it, but God has a plan bigger than people's plans. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee. Resist means, it comes from two Greek words, which means to stand against. To resist means to stand against. James says to stand against the devil. Oh, I'm not a pastor or an intercessor or a preacher. That word is for the real spiritual people. No, that word is for you. This is the answer to the dilemma in America. Whatever social ill we have, it's the church submitting to God, standing firm against the devil and him fleeing. It is the church standing up and saying, no, I'm not having that in the name of, not in your own strength, because we have no strength. There's nothing good within us. But when we submit to God, and this is the key, when you submit, you have authority. When you submit, you have authority. If you don't submit, you don't have authority against the devil. How can these people go, how can uh, Miss Aura and her team go into the budget suite Sweets with incredible authority because of submission to God. The book of Acts tells the story of seven sons of a guy named Sceva, and they thought, you know, well, they heard, they watched uh, Paul uh, casting out demons, and so they said, uh, okay, there was one dude who had a whole bunch of demons in him, and they said, okay, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out of the man. And the demons, this is true. The demons were like, wait, wait, hold up. Don't go nowhere. I'm looking at my contacts. Let me see here. Jesus, yeah, we know Jesus. Paul the apostle, yeah, we know Paul the apostle. You, we don't know you. And those demons jumped out of that man and into them, beat them up, ripped off their clothes, and threw them out in the streets because they thought they had authority, but they were not submitted to God. I'm going to say to you, the more you submit to God, the more authority he can trust you with. It's a formula. You want spiritual authority? Submit to God. If you're losing the war against Satan, submit to God. There's something in your life you must submit to. And nobody has to tell you what it is because you know. Surrender, submit to God Resist, stand up in, the, in, in his strength and his might, and the devil will flee. It happens every time. Every time. Every time. Every time. Satan 
can be sent running by the resistance of the newest believer who comes in the authority of what Jesus did on the cross. You could be a father, I'll give my life to Jesus. When? Like last night, in the name of Jesus. You, know, you could do that because of the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we resist Satan? By faith and by spiritual armor. And he will flee. Listen, it doesn't mean, listen, war is ugly and there are casualties. When you read about a man of God who dies and you think, how did that happen? A woman of God, she's being greatly used of God. And you think, how could, the enemy must have won. No, 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 no. The enemy did not win. But there are casualties in war. And sometimes God chooses to take people earlier than we think they should be taken. Well, maybe they weren't submitting. Of course they were submitting to God. Well, maybe they, maybe they weren't resi- Of course they were resisting. I'm saying, for you and I here today, this works. You want authority? Submit. No authority, no submission. Listen, listen, church, listen. No submission, no authority. The enemy runs roughshod in your life and in my life. It's true. Now, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Worship team, come on up. We're going to close in communion. You guys have been so gracious and kind. We're going to celebrate communion. It's the appropriate thing to do today. We're celebrating covenant today with communion. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. In conclusion, Paul the Apostle says, Be strong in the Lord. <laughs> I love that. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. In in the Lord. Draw your strength from Him and be empowered through your union with Him. Amplified Bible. And in the power of His boundless might, put on the full armor of God, that is, for His precepts are like the splendid armor of a heavily armored soldier, so that you may be able to successfully stand against most of the schemes and the strategies and deceits, deceits of the devil. All. All. Stand against all of them. A famous ancient Christian writer named Hermas wrote this, the devil can wrestle against the Christian, but he cannot pin him. As I conclude, I want to just do two quick things. One is that I want you to see in verse 11. Remember we talked about how he's talking about our speech. In verse 11, he says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, uh, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy Who are you to judge another? We've already covered this before, but I wanted to get in the context of our speech because remember, that's the theme of chapter 3 and it carries in chapter 4. Don't speak evil of one another. He talks about the, the, the wars and the battles that are happening within the church and he says, don't speak evil because how often it's manifested by how I speak. 
don't speak evil of one another. You are not the judge, James says. Now, in conclusion, therefore, verse 7, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ah, verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then the charge from James is this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Two-faced, two-tongued, two-minded. Double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. There you go. See, apparently the church didn't see these issues as big deals. James says, what are you celebrating? You're laughing and joking and you're having a party and all this. And he says, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. You're double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Turn the laughter. What is so funny, he says. You should be crying over these things and you're celebrating and laughing, he says. And then he says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. He will lift you up. Ah, woo, that's good. Repent, church, he says. Humble yourselves on the side of the Lord. He will lift you up. Humble yourselves. I want to call you to th- uh, Wednesday. I'm going to call the entire church to fast and pray. We are not ignorant of the schemes of the devil. And this faith family summit, the, the devil hates that we are doing this. We understand ultimately supernatural. This, this, these, th- there, are, there are major movers and shakers in the city who are helping the human trafficking cause. Uh, there's someone from Metro going to talk about what, about uh, online, uh, uh, the social media and the dangers of social media. And you know what? Uh, if if, if our, someone in our community could come to this and maybe they could, they could hear about some ways to help. And then you know what? Hey, what are you guys and who are you all about? We get an opportunity to tell them. You know, so I, Wednesday, we're going to fast and pray. Be it a meal, be it all day, however the Holy Spirit leads you. We're praying specifically that, that this would be something that is successful and the enemy would not hinder this from happening in any kind of way. Because this is where the enemy lives in this stuff. It, it is, it is diabol- it's birthed from hell. Uh, what could be worse than this? Well, and, and, and so we're fighting against it. And it's a small way to do it, but we're going to be praying together because we're not, we're not silly. We understand how these things work sometimes. Is that an amen to that? We're going to take communion, and I want you to, we're going to sing a song. During the song, come and have communion. But I want you to have some quiet time just reflecting because, you know, this is, if, if this is a foreign things, you don't feel compelled to do it. I grew up in a religious system where you did it once a week, you know, and it was just kind of ritual. It meant nothing at all. Uh, but but uh, meditate, take some time, think, ponder, you know, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Uh, if there's some, some forgiveness that you need to offer someone or even receive, do that. Um, uh, this is a time between you and the Lord. And when you're ready... Uh, or not. That's okay too. You can come up and receive the elements and take, we're not going to take it as a church together. You take it as you feel led and I'll close this out. And so,